Greetings! Welcome aboard the Diecast Enterprise. This is Bags. And I'm Foley. And it's a somber night tonight. It's sad times because, my friends, tonight it's episode 22, Skin of Evil. And that means it's time for Tasha Yar to shuffle off this mortal coil. So sad. It is. It is. You know, we've had a whole season to get to know Tasha, to get really invested in her character, and we didn't because they never gave Tasha anything to do, really, except occasionally complain about rape gangs. As one would, because rape gangs are terrible, but I, personally, would have liked more out of Tasha than just that. I feel there's more to Tasha than talking about the rape gangs of her homeworld. I think her main function of the first season is just to uh, take time away from, scream time away from Worf. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for well, that, she will not be missed. Yeah, Worf was a last-minute ad, and that was a bit of a problem for season one, because basically, Tasha Yar's character got split between two. Even, on the, even within their duties, they're basically splitting duties all the time. They're splitting a personality in a lot of ways. It's a shame they didn't find a way to kind of give each of them something to do. Mm-hmm. Because there's a little bit of business at the very beginning of the episode between her and Worf. Yeah. Uh, this episode, you know? There's a martial arts tournament coming yeah. up. Yeah, and there's a little back and forth. And it's an attempt to invest us, the audience, in Tashiar as a character. It's, it's a little transparent when you know what's coming. It's one of the first conversations they have just directly between the two of them, too, which is ridiculous because they stand next to each other yeah. all the time. I know, and, and, and we've together. had a whole season and I believe Denise Crosby even said that if there had been more of that kind of interaction between her and Worf previously throughout the season she might not have left the show at all and that's understandable like I get it you know if I were Denise Crosby and I was on Next Gen and I had had to do what she had to do that season I'd be interested in moving on too because she wasn't getting to do anything and what she did get to do was basically bullshit well they asked her to jump over the wooden panel on the bridge and yeah, yeah, Worf she, did it better. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, he showed her up and, you know, yeah. she could never forgive him for that. It's That's probably it. Right. You know, or she got to uh, she got to play on that jungle gym on the black planet. Oh, yeah. She did know? get to do that. And I think we can all agree that that episode wasn't insulting in any way. It's season one. They're, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not a good time to be a participant of the show. Season one is rough. As we've said multiple times on this podcast. It's a shame, though. Like, her leaving then is like she slogged through all the worst stuff. Yeah. The payoff and, is not that far away exactly you know she didn't get to enjoy any of the good stuff that was to come she left too early Um, the show obviously would have been different if she'd stayed but in many ways nothing personal but the show really is better without her well in terms of balance it's better to have one security officer than it is to have two frankly it's the cast is probably better with one less primary character yeah, as well exactly and no offense to Yar because I really like Yar but it's more interesting to have a Klingon as the um, chief of security in a mm. Star Trek show than it is to have a woman as chief of security because that was what, basically the gimmick going on there was like I'm sorry are, are, are you coming around on Klingons saying Klingons are good now <laughs> no after disparaging them for a full season no that's not at all what I'm saying I'm saying that in the terms of the star, in terms of the Star Trek universe it's Klingons more, are awesome yes I know it's more interesting for the flagship of the Federation to have a Klingon security chief than it is for it to have a female security chief because yes well it may correct. be shocking to uh, audiences of the 80s that a woman would have a security position 
Revolution. I guess that was, maybe that's how it was in the 80s. I don't remember. I don't remember thinking anything of it as a child because, of course, a woman could be a security officer. Listen, listen. Don't try to disguise your your racist anti-Klingon agenda around the... The patriarchy. Around... I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to shift yeah. our uh, our focus here away from my xenophobia of Don't wrap Klingons. yourself in the flag of feminism and attempt yeah, yeah. to take down the Klingons. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm sorry. You're not fooling anyone. I'm a, I'm a bad ally. That's right. That's what I am. You're not fooling me, buddy. Clearly I'm not. That's not to say that I wouldn't have liked to have seen Tasha Yar move into a different position of some kind, but yeah, you're you're right. There are too many primary characters, and the show does better with fewer. Let's say somebody has to die in this episode, and it could be any of the primary characters. If we were going to go through the thought exercise of saving Yar and giving either her or Worf another job, we have to keep both of them. Okay. But you have to kill someone else. Who would you trade? Hmm. Because I think I know exactly who I would kill. <laughs> and it's not Wesley. I would uh, kill off Deanna Troy. She would have died in that shuttle crash because she is basically a pointless character for the entirety of the series. You know, her whole purpose is to tell us how other people are feeling. And the thing about that is we can tell how other people are feeling without an empath. Yeah. You know? Body language and tone. We get it. Like, we don't need Troy there saying they're hiding something. We know they're hiding something. We have ears. We have eyes. We're yeah. not stupid. She is mostly pointless. So yeah, that's who I would kill off. I would have I would gladly trade Troy in order to keep Yar. I can't disagree with you. That is the obvious answer. I was actually going to go a different way. Oh, which way were you going to go? I would kill Jordy. Really? Because that's essentially what happens anyway. They... Jordy the Helmsman is gone after this season. They reboot him as a different person. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he really becomes is. an engineer. I mean, like, it, yes, he has somewhat of this of the same personality, and you know, he grows yeah. like anybody else does. But yeah, and it's true. not. And I love Jordy. Like, he's basically my favorite character other than Worf. Mm-hmm. But um, you could easily have given that role to to, to Yar or to Worf. Although I think Worf works better as the security officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Tasha could have done that for a uh, Klingon to be a security officer. You, know? you go with those racist yeah, stereotypes yeah. again. Why? Because he's so emotional, so angry and violent Ooh. well no that's the the Klingon society's whole thing is battle in <laughs> honor I don't think that's me being racist I think like that's what Klingons think you know I, you gotta let go of these stereotypes that's all I'm saying alright <laughs> I'm just kidding God. just kidding there is no pleasing you <laughs> Uh yeah, should we should we like recap what happens? Yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of the episode, the Enterprise it's on is, is on its way to rendezvous with a shuttlecraft that's bringing Tasha Yar, not Tasha Yar, with a shuttlecraft that is bringing Deanna Troy yeah, back right. from a um, conference. They yeah. are without warp drive because uh, routine maintenance is being uh, performed on the warp core uh, on the dilithium chamber. Oh yeah, by our fifth engineer of yeah. the season. Yeah, it, he is our fifth. I'm pretty sure. What's Beca- okay, so the fir- like there's Chief Engineer Argyle, yep. and then there's Chief Engineer Singh, who yep. died, yep. and then there's Chief Engineer McIntyre, I think that was the lady's name? I think so, yeah. Uh, and then there was the Chief Engineer, Chief. whose name I don't remember, the one who tried to take control of the bridge from Geordi during uh, Arsenal of Freedom. Engineer Dutyhead? Yeah, yeah. The, yep. uh, Engineer Dickwad. Yep. And now this one, uh, what was it? Uh, Lynch. Yeah, Lyndon or T. Lynch. Or yeah, something. yeah. 
Yeah, something like that. Uh, or Leland. He gives us his full name and initials when he says hello over the communicator. Yeah, yeah. Room. Like he, he introduces himself. Oh, hey, everybody. I'm the new. Uh, I'm, I'm the new engineer. I'm engineer of the week. He's yeah. also the worst one of the bunch, except for maybe the the guy who's given Jordy the. Biggest. I don't know. I I think he's possibly the most competent of the bunch because this. Is, What's he doing with those freaking crystals? Like, well, oh. he was doing routine maintenance, and then this guy didn't have to go through all of the steps to get them warp power. You know, which would have taken like twenty five minutes. No, That's no, true. he puts them in and does the does the fucking alignment by hand. He, and he gets, gets results. Them, yeah, he gets fucking results immediately and gets them to warp eight. You know, like the captain's all like, you know, I need warp power, and he's like, well, I can't give you warp power. Hmm. Well, how long for warp power? Twenty minutes, possibly more. You don't have that long. He's like, okay, I will do it manually. All right. He's like, just get it done. So he does it, and then he's like, okay, you now have minimum warp power. All right, let's go to warp eight. So- I said minimum warp power. Make it happen. Okay, and then they go to warp eight, and then they arrive at the planet, and nothing comes of this for the rest of the episode. Um, I think like this, the Enterprise in season one though has like more en- more chief engineers than Spinal Tap has drummers. It's, it's true, ridiculous. And uh, we were talking about this earlier. There's this theatrical term called Chekhov's gun. The notion that uh, comes from the playwright Chekhov, who says, you know, if you introduce a gun in Act One, it needs to be fired in Act Three, mm. and that has totally not happened here. They introduce these, you know, engineering problems in Act One, like at the very beginning of the episode, like shit's going down in engineering, you know, and like I can't do this. Do it, okay? Now uh, I've done it. Okay, warp eight. I can't do warp eight. Do it anyway. Okay, you know, there should be repercussions for that, but they never happen. The whole thing with that engineer was entirely mm. pointless. It was there specifically to make sure that there was some drama in whether they would be able to get there in time to save the shuttlecraft or not. Right. However, that could have been much more easily achieved by just saying that the shuttle was too far away for them to make it there in time. But then Lyndon T. Lynch wouldn't have had his moment in the sun or whatever the dude's name so, is. I guess so, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to introduce this engi- like this bit of business about engineering and then not follow up on it later in the episode. Like well, Something sure. should have come of that. You can have misdirection, though. Like mm-hmm. Not everything's a checkoff play, thankfully. Yeah, yeah indeed. <laughs> Boring! But you know what I mean. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. bit of business that should have had some kind of payoff, but never did. Eh, so anyways, enough. they get to this planet where Troy's shuttle has gone down. And they can't just beam her up because there's some kind of interference. So they beam down to the planet where they find this oil slick. Oh, yeah. And it won't let them get near the ship. Every time they try to walk over to it, it poorly animates itself in front of their uh, path, blocking them off. Mm-hmm. At which point, Data says some shit about how it doesn't register on their tricorders as anything. Like, they don't understand what it is. No, no protein, no yeah, no yeah. brain waves, no uh, yeah. nervous but system. But apparently intelligent because it's following them. And then finally it reveals itself as this kind of form that lifts out of the... Uh, Black sludge. Yeah. And they, they have a little banter and then Tasha's had just about enough of this. She's like, listen, we're not going to hurt you, but we need to get to our people. And she starts to stride confidently off towards the shuttlecraft. At which point mm-hmm. Armis, which is the name of this creature, throws her through the air. There's like some weird like blurring effect put onto her to, I guess, make it more sci-fi. And then she hits the ground and now she has a purple sharpie splotch drawn on her face mm-hmm. and she's dead he basically slaps her to death pretty much it's a telekinetic bitch slap yeah and it's fatal fatal and here 
through and yes, once again through the magic of high definition, we're able to see that blotch mark that she has on her face literally looks appears to be magic marker. Yeah, it looks face. like somebody went through their Crayola marker set and found the marker marked bruise. I loved it. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, it's so funny. I maybe what I think's probably happened here is that one day, like Denise Crosby just had a breakdown and she just drew with Sharpie all over her face and she came into work and they're like, "Well, shit, now we have to write around this." And they're like, fuck it. We don't want to have to deal with this bullshit anymore. That is it. And they just wrote her out of the show. Just fucking end her. All of those stories we've heard, that's just cover. What really happened was Denise Crosby drew on her face one day, and the the Trek showrunners were like, that's fucking it. Showrunners are just in a bad mood that day. We're fucking done. Could be. (laughs) It's probably not what happened, but. So let's talk, before we move on, let's talk about Tasha's death and how we feel about that. Because there's a lot's been said in the Trek community about this death. A lot of people. People think that Tasha Yar should have gone out in a blaze of glory. Others maintain that giving her a less dramatic death, a more run-of-the-mill death, is actually more in keeping with the uh, deaths of other security, security personnel throughout the history of Star Trek. I mean, How do you feel about that? What do you think? Well, okay, I'll, I'll say first... Death, you know, often is random and unexpected and pointless. Yes. And the the fact that that is sort of the way it happened on the show, I actually kind of liked. Mm-hmm. I don't generally like grandiose cinematic movie deaths. Yeah, yeah. We, there are plenty of them on the show at different times, like it's in this series in different times. So this is probably the realest mm-hmm. death. And it's the most meaningful because it is a full-blown cast member. Other people die in the show, but they're yeah. never like... It's never one of the bigs. Yeah. So never one of the main... While this story, kind of, like this specific story kind of sucks and the villain kind of sucks, the, the arbitrary nature of her death, I actually like and appreciate. Yeah. I will say though, I would have been much happier if... They had a time before the party beamed down to the planet. If Tasha had, for whatever reason, had to put on a red uniform, <laughs> like if she spilled ink on her wand, oh, or like that's, a, that's fucking just genius. Just on the way to, like, just on the way to the transporter pad, mm-hmm. like she, some ensigns walking by with like you know fruit yeah. punch or Kool Aid, and he yeah. spills it all over her shirt. It's like, yeah. Oh, now oh, I'm red. Oh, no, now you're a red. I'm shirt. red, or you know, she's well, like, that, oh. that's one of the like the very rarely talked about tragedies of next gen is oh. that there are no red shirt deaths because red shirts aren't a thing in next gen because I know because red shirts are no longer security tell me about it for some reason at some point security and command switch color schemes I don't know if there's any like official statements out there by anybody like oh, any of the sure creative people on Star Trek good. but I swear the reason they made that change is because of the red shirt cliche mm-hmm. so they're like <laughs> screw you guys we're gonna make the captain wear red that's a good that's a good call that might yeah. that might actually be it uh, I too am also on board with the less grandiose death I don't like the death she got I would have preferred it to have happened in a better episode not in a more heroic way necessarily but at least a better episode because Armis is a terrible villain yeah this episode is pretty substandard even by season one standards the timing in the, in the show is quite good. I mean, it's only yeah, yeah. about five to seven or eight, nine minutes in. Yeah, yeah. Have it to, it go... happens really early. Yeah. Which is a good way to do it because it really throws your audience off balance because yeah. it puts everything up in the air. It's like, well, if Tasha Yar can die, then anyone can die. You know they're not gonna, but they could. Maybe Troy isn't gonna make it out of the shuttlecraft. Is Armas gonna kill anyone else? Jumping forward just a little, if they had gone a different way, making it at the end, adding any tension, uncertainty about her death or anything, 
anything like that. It would have taken something away from, in what is many ways the best episode in the series, or the best couple episodes in the series, and people's favorite is the the whole arc of with uh, Locutus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best um, of both worlds. Yes, yeah, when again, no spoilers, I suppose. But like when Cap, when Picard gets kidnapped by the Borg, there's real uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Is he gone? Yeah, exactly. Because it's not the first. It wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the first time. But then also just the the way that was structured. It's a cliffhanger. It mm-hmm. happens near the end of the show. We're not sure what's going on. Yeah. If Yar had died. I guess in a way that was more obvious or more like in a sort of as the ending of a show like to Mm -hmm. close the curtain the the curtains closed on her death I think that would have taken something away from Best of Both Worlds later on because just because we would have already had that we already would have been presented with a story with somewhat of that same structure so this is quite different from that and I like it because of that yeah yeah no I I dig it I I wish it had been a better episode but I'm I'm perfectly satisfied with the pointless and arbitrary nature of her death because that's just the way it happened Happens, you know, I mean, the death is the best part of a yeah, pretty crappy episode. I mean, we're so used to death, all, all deaths in drop in dramas being meaningful in some way, sacrifice or what have you, or being drawn out. I mean, they did have the emergency room scene with Crusher mm-hmm. fighting to try to keep her yeah, alive, yeah. But, but she's gone. You but, know, like there's yeah, there, there's no last gasps from Yar. There's no final words. There's no yeah. uh, is the word given, Captain, or <laughs> any shit like that. No, she's gone. As soon as Arliss Armis. Arliss, Armis. Arliss. That's yeah. that uh, that nineties. Yeah, that's that nineties sports sports agent agent show. Yeah. All, Arliss with two dollar signs. Yeah, yeah. No, as soon as Armis, uh, we don't know that flying through the air, she is gone. We don't know for sure that Armis doesn't spell his name with dollar signs. That's he never true. writes he it might. down. He might. Maybe he loves dollar, Arliss. Dollar bills, y'all. Anyway, so Yar is dead, and everyone is suitably shocked. Like when yeah, it's shocking. When Crusher pronounces her dead, like Picard turns around and he is like he doesn't believe it because he's yeah. like, what the fuck? But, but we've still got more episodes left in this season. What? Not only that, but I think it. It, maybe his uh, his his reaction there does sort of yeah it does a good job of I guess making you know making us feel like you know death is something that while of course it happens in the 24th yeah. century they're used to they're used to saving everybody yeah, and, and they're used to deaths happening in more dramatic like <laughs> in a more uh, like he he thought of this as a routine mission like he wasn't yeah. thinking he didn't send anyone down there assuming that they were gonna die yeah you know it was of course just like all of a sudden dead like what yeah so yeah um, I like that yeah it's good. Some annoyance in that they beam them up to... Oh my god, it's so annoying. Yeah, he... Picard has them beamed up and they get beamed up to the transporter room instead of to the medical bay. No, bro, right to sick bay. What are yeah, you doing? Exactly. And then as soon as they get there, Crusher's like, I need her in sick bay. So instead of beaming them directly to sick bay, Data carries her. Yeah, what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. And then we get the scene where she tries to save her, can't do it. And then it's Armus having a heart to heart with Deanna Troy. And this is. So Troy's empathic, g- of course. Yeah, I'm going to say because Marina Sirtis considers this some of her best work in season one I'm gonna agree I think this is probably her best performance in season one her alone in that shuttle talking to Armis is probably her strongest stuff in the season who knew she had such chemistry with a wall yeah yeah and it could possibly be because this is like the first time she's been given anything of actual substance to do probably you know most of the time she just has to feel feelings that we already know people are feeling now she's giving us stuff that we can't get from looking at Armis because Armis is a black blob it's true i feel like we uh, like troy gets dissed a lot but she like does. there is a we probably should recognize i guess there is a distinction to be made between the character deanna troy and i guess the actor marina oh Sirtis. yeah i've met marina Sirtis. Yeah. I've, I've met the entire cast of next gen oh, lucky and, 
and Marina Sirtis was one of the nicest like she was so friendly like when I came up to her out of the line to meet her she stood up she reached over the table to shake my hand she called me love and she was just so friendly the entire time I was talking to her all all I was thinking in the back of my head was gosh I'm really sorry that I don't like your character because you're great the actor obviously has something to do Mm -hmm. with the way a character is presented and all that stuff but they don't necessarily write the dialogue or pick their scenarios they're in just because Troy sucks it isn't really her fault yeah and and she's great meanwhile when I met Michael Dorn Michael Dorn was clearly just tired I guess he had had his fill of the convention alright stop right there because the only two people that I've met are Marina Sirtis and Michael Dorn and Michael Dorn was awesome when I met him well I'm glad I'm really glad that Michael Dorn was awesome when you met him because to me he was mostly dismissive and disinterested but you know what I get that because when you have to deal with thousands of nerds it would be hell let's face it yeah it would be hell so I don't take any personal offense it's like when I met my idol when I met Tron at Fan Expo Mm -hmm. this this past April and I was so excited because Tron has been my hero since I was a child and I even have a sleeve of Tron circuitry tattooed on my arm which I showed him and he was very pleasant I don't even know what you're talking about right now are you talking about Bruce Boxleitner or did you meet like a CG representation of Tron I met Bruce Boxleitner okay just just check in I don't know who did you think I don't know obviously that's who Tron is look if you told me you met Max Headroom I wouldn't necessarily think you met uh, Matt Frewer Matt Frewer I think you met like a TV screen with Max Headroom on it okay so I met Bruce Boxleitner and I showed him my Tron tattoos and he was very polite but he was clearly tired like I caught him on the last day of Fan Expo fair enough and I'm sure had I caught him on the first day he would have been much more engaging and much more pleased to meet me yeah yeah. but I'm still totally happy to have met him yeah that's cool it's the same for the next gen cast depending on what day I met them granted I met Marina Sirtis the same day that I met Michael Dorn and she was all happy and bubbly and pleased to meet everybody and Michael Dorn was just like oh god I want to go home yeah no Michael Dorn is I think a probably more normal person (laughs) Marina Sirtis is like over the top nice she's ridiculously nice and if you ever have a chance to go to a convention and meet Marina Sirtis I definitely recommend it you won't you won't be disappointed gotcha so Marina Sirtis is giving her finest performance of season one in this episode which is another sad thing because this episode is so bad but yeah. it's giving us things that are good but it's wrapped in well it's because something real happens as part of yeah, the reason yeah. I guess there's actually room for the actors to do something even if the the story isn't great so yeah she does a good job Armis is a jerk Pretty he's much. actually, he's basically the living embodiment of jerkiness. Pretty much. Some super being race figured out a way to bring all of their malice and anger and evil feelings and badness to the surface and slough it off. You know, it shed it. into a skin, which they were then a able to... skin of evil. Yeah. Title. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which they then sloughed off and abandoned on this planet. And Yeah, and now he's just, he's basically really lonely and angry. And bitter. Yeah. yeah. He's super emo, you know, like he'd be a big Linkin Park fan. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't read us any of his poetry, which is good. Yeah, yeah. He uh, probably had some dark stuff. Oh, um, so he also just acts like a like classic bully. Yeah, when stuff. they come down again to see if they can get at the uh, shuttle, this time they bring Jordy because he's going to take a look with his visor. Totally. Nothing comes of that either. Like he looks like he suggests like maybe I'll be able to see something, and we see him, you know, taking a good hard look at Armis. Mm. But then we never hear about it again. Hey, look, not even Jordy bats a thousand. Yeah, and uh, then Armis is like a total dick, knocks Jordy's visor off. <laughs> yes, and keeps moving it around so he can't find it, and he's like. Aren't you going to help him? And 
he's all like, fuck no, I'm not going to help you hurt him, dick. Can I move it again? That's not precisely what he said, but it's the... it's. It's the uh, essence of it. Pretty much. It, it, it seems like uh, members of the members of Starfleet really don't respond well to bullying. Mm. They're not going to react at all. No. So uh, that's he tries. He basically tries to bully almost everyone of the, yeah. of the crew. And, and he he probably does the most to Riker because at this point he grabs Riker by the feet. Oh yeah. And drags him in and drowns him in uh, in the sludge, the black the sludge, sludge, which is made up of Metamucil and uh, black printer's ink. And Frakes, I know, deeply regrets agreeing to. To go into it because <laughs> it's gross as hell yeah and best of all because this the stuff is so disgusting when they drag him into the goo it's a one take deal like yeah. they can't reshoot they, this yeah, because he'll be covered in shit and yeah. as uh, they're rushing forward to watch him get pulled in uh, LeVar Burton knocks his phaser out of its holster and it falls into the glop it's great yeah it just plop <laughs> there's his phaser in Armis as whoopsie doodle <laughs> yeah as Riker is being sucked under and to their credit none of them react to it like they all yeah. act like it hasn't happened they're just focused on Riker and the pros these yeah, guys we, we wouldn't have like I mean we only caught it by accident yeah yeah <laughs> you know like it's not even listed on the Star Trek wiki well, we should make a submission there yeah yeah we could do that you heard we it could first. keep it for ourselves you heard it here first people don't bother yeah. memory off it's crap yeah yeah they missed a single blooper those amateurs <laughs> douchebags so now that he has uh, Riker he goes and covers up the shuttle again which leads me to wonder where the fuck is Riker it's not clear does Arnis have like extra dimensional properties too is he like a fucking TARDIS is he bigger on the inside maybe he leaves some of the, the puddle behind he doesn't like maybe it looked like it all went but you know I think that's because they be recycled the, the same yeah, crappy because, shot yeah, over and over again so bad so anyways he goes and taunts Troy about how you should feel how strong he is she's like I can oh it's heart it's heartbreaking mm. heartbreaking stuff but meanwhile on the Enterprise they're discovering that there's a pattern going on with the force field Armis is generating there, preventing them from saving the shuttle crew. Yeah. Whenever Armis is on the shuttle, taunting Troy, the power drops down, and Picard wants to find out why, so Picard's going down. Mm-hmm. Down to the surface. It's on. Oh, we should mention why Worf didn't go down, being the new chief of security. Oh, oh well, look. Worf is made acting chief of security. Right. In, in a very grown-up manner, he says, uh... The, the uh, object here is not to engage the creature, it is to ensure the safe return of, of the crew members. I can best do that from the tactical station yeah good job Worf mm-hmm. unexpected and cool Worf not rushing off to fight Armus especially after it killed his friend wasn't interesting that's an interesting move mm-hmm. it grows Worf which is good I think he knows he just can't stab this thing so what's, yeah, he, yeah. what's he gonna do so I don't have to mention Worf is doubly pissed because he's losing all his sweet oh yeah like I think his sweet Worf martial is, arts pool money Worf is pretty angry because at the beginning of the episode he had mentioned that uh, Tashiar was heavily favored in the ship's pool for who would win this martial arts tournament and she's all like, you bet on me? And he's like, they sure did. Yeah. You know? And now he's going to lose all that money. Which is bullshit. Yeah, he's pretty angry. Especially because we they don't have money. Like, what are they betting? Well, they do have money. Like, there are Federation credits. The uh, members of the Federation can buy things when they go to planets. I'm pretty sure members of the Federation Starfleet do get paid. Fair enough. It's just that the acquisition of wealth is no longer a thing. They don't say what they were wagering, though. It could have been anything. Yeah, it could have been anything. Uh, latrine duty or something. Handies. <laughs> oh, man. Klingon handies. Gross. Gotta rip it off. 
You know, it's not a it's not a gentle touch that one. No, no, <laughs> clearly not. So Picard goes down, and there's a whole bunch of business where Armis tries to make Data shoot people, but to see if he can get feelings out of Data, and Data's like, "No, you're doing it, not me. So it's not my fault." Mm-hmm. And then he tries to make the Doctor choose who will die, and she won't. And finally, Picard's like, "Listen, you can control them, but only I can command them, and that's what's pissing you off." So Armis gives him back Riker. Who who's looking all gross and then uh, the doctor wipes off his face and wipes all of this shit into Riker's mouth and he basically awesome. gags on it like she yeah. she's wiping off his face and she's like whoa yeah, like, what are you doing <laughs> it's amazing I, I believe that's why she leaves for Starfleet Medical for a year to polish her uh, face wiping technique. Just terrible, you know. It just just awful, just awful. Yeah. So Picard has them beamed back up to the ship, so it's just him one on one with Armis, mm-hmm. and he convinces Armis to let him see Troy, and that's when Troy and him have their talk, and he discovers why the power keeps dropping when Armis is on the ship because she gets him talking about his feelings and his anger, and when Armis is confronting this stuff instead of suppressing it he loses his focus right haha now why armis is not listening in on their conversation i can't imagine that seems like only natural like armis doesn't seem like an honorable creature at all i guess they're just running short on time but they could have even said we need to wrap this up they could have even said that he heard like every word of that conversation Mm -hmm. but then it doesn't matter because picard's still gonna make him mad Mm -hmm. and Exactly. rage-filled creature that he is, he probably could, yeah. you know, Picard could probably make him Armist angry. Armist clearly does not him. have the emotional maturity to... He can't control himself. Exactly. Yeah. So, Picard goes out and basically goads Armis into, like, this rage tantrum, which makes it possible for the crew to beam up the survivors, and then Picard beams out, you know, just being like, fuck you! It really does. It's, yeah. like, pretty, pretty, pretty cold. They're yeah, just leaving just like, him behind. The double deuce, and then he yeah. beams up. Because all Armis wanted to do was to leave the planet, yeah. to, to go in search of the people that abandoned him, and Picard's like, no! <laughs> Fuck you very much. So they destroy the remains of the shuttlecraft from orbit to make sure that Armis can't use them to uh, escape the planet. The planet is quarantined, but then it's time for the funeral. Oh, the funeral. It's really touching. It's not the best moment of the series. Yeah. I found the funeral... They tried. Yeah, they tried, but Tasha Yar's statements, they're just, they're really kind of corny, and they don't really work because they didn't spend any time this season developing Tasha Yar's relationship with any of these characters. Yeah, she basically gives little anecdotes about each of the characters. Yeah, each like of the different what she'll miss about them, and what she admires about them, and what she's learned yeah. from them. And it's all stuff we never saw. For exactly. The, almost all of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad, because that, like I say, that was a big problem with this, is that they killed off Tashiar without having built her up enough for us to be truly affected by it. Yeah. And that that's a shame. Now obviously it's partly because they didn't know they were going to kill her off. This was kind of a last minute thing. Mm-hmm. Like not last minute but it was sprung on them. They didn't have a lot of time to deal with it. And had they known from the beginning of the season that this was coming I expect they probably would have built up her character more in order to make her leaving the series more powerful. Because it's Star Trek 
Trek, they had to do a touchy-feely sort of yeah. closing scene. And it's kind of weird, right? Like, it means that Tasha had this yeah. death statement prepared, which it starts generically enough, which I can see maybe she would yeah. like to have some sort of thing statement ready in case she dies. Yeah. And the opening lines of that are perfect for that. Mm-hmm. But then she has, yeah, she the addresses... The for each of them, and that's a little which weird. Which is creepy, right? Yeah, I mean, how, she often, probably, how often does she update this yeah, thing? Exactly, yeah, exactly. You know, like, like once a week? Like I don't know. An interesting uh, effects thing is this was done on like a blue screen stage because they put in like a, uh, a blue background, you know, a sky background. Mm-hmm. So in some of the shots, Dr. Crusher's wearing a green uniform instead of a blue one mm-hmm. because the uh, blue uniform they couldn't have used against a blue screen. Do you think the reason she's not wearing her cardi is purely from a practical reason for the effects or would it just be too informal to go to a funeral in a cardigan? I think the Star Trek world answer is that it's too informal for her to wear her cardigan like her uh, even though she wears it on duty yeah yeah all right but you know duty is one thing an actual funeral is another fair enough you know like she wouldn't wear it to a function how come they don't wear their dress uniforms for this thing i don't know i guess tashi r wasn't important enough yeah true you know if it picard had died they'd all be in their dress uniforms so in some scenes crusher is wearing a green uniform and in other scenes she's wearing the blue uniform like for scenes that they didn't have to do the effects work behind her she's in the blue shirt but uh, you'll notice a couple of times intercut throughout that when we see her with Wesley she's wearing a green shirt which is interesting I mean it's not like a super green shirt like it's kind of an aquamarine so it's kind yeah. of a green blue but you know it's just off blue enough that it wouldn't uh, fuck up the chroma key it's the same greeny blue that you might see if you watch an episode of season one of TNG on Netflix because <laughs> the colors are so distorted oh yeah yeah, truly bad. Another interesting note is that this episode marks the final appearance of Wesley Crusher for the season. Can't believe it. I know. I What are we going to do? Uh, I guess no more sweater game for us. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. No more Wesley. And man, the collar on his uh, sweater looked weird at the uh, funeral. Like, is that it what looked... it always looked like? I don't remember it looking like that. No, I think this is... Well, we should go check. I'm not oh, sure. Man, like, it just looked like something that had deflated. It looks like one of those double barrel, like those double-lipped um, toilet plugs. Yeah, it didn't look good. No. It is not how I remember that sweater looking, the the collar. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. It's his funeral sweater. Yeah, that's his funeral That's his funeral sweater. Mm. That's Skin of Evil, the end of Tasha Yar. And now we've only got, like, what, four, four episodes more? to I go? Season one is almost yeah, complete. season one is uh, getting close. And then it's on to season two. Can you believe it? Uh, I can believe it. I'm not necessarily looking forward can, can to it. Can you dig it? I can dig it. Yeah, I, can. I have watched... I have watched season two all the way through... Oh, yeah. That's because you're watching oh, these episodes behind my back. Yeah, yeah. Without me. Yeah, without you. Uh, actually, we are now on to season three now. We're starting season three. D- don't even talk to me. Yeah. Um, well, I showed you a little bit of season three tonight. <sighs> and man, the picture quality in season three on these Blu-rays is amazing. Like, Look, season I, three is where it gets... I can't talk about season three <laughs> because every time I think about how sweet it's going to be, I have to remember then I've got to watch all You've of season two first. season two. Yeah. And four more episodes of season one. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, damn you! Comfort yourself in the fact that season two is the shortest season. Really? Yeah, there was a length? there was a writer's strike. How many episodes? So, uh, I don't know, but it's uh, it's oh. maybe like twenty one or twenty. 
two. Oh, really? It's one or two episodes shorter than season one. Hallelujah. And it ends with a clip show. Yes, it does. <laughs> Clips, which contain scenes from this episode, actually. Yep, yep, it does. Um, we, how would you rate Skin of Evil? Skin of Evil? Hmm. This is a hard one, because the episode itself, the story, the plot, is pretty shitty. Yes. But within it, there's some good stuff happening. I gotta say, it was much better on rewatch than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Not that it's good or anything. Granted, but... you rewatched it twice tonight because you fell no. asleep for most... I... <laughs> <laughs> I watched it once. I slept through it once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. I guess I would give it maybe a lieutenant junior grade. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to give it a lieutenant commander. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh... I'm just going crazy. Yeah, yeah. Going crazy. Like three pips, two filled in. That's right. Uh, yeah. Just okay. Just because. That's, that's fair. You know, I mean... If you don't care what our listeners think of you and your opinions, that's fine with me. Yeah, I'm good with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... What else do you want to talk about? Well, we already talked a little bit about Yar. Mm-hmm. And how this wasn't the last episode she filmed. Right. It was just yeah, it was her character's last episode. The previous episode was the last episode she filmed. And we talked about how she kind of waves goodbye in her last shot, which is kind of cute. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to mention Wesley's acne from that first episode of season three. Oh. No. Man, the, that later. the high definition. Wow. Poor, uh, poor Will Wheaton. Poor W. Sorry, W. It's okay. We'll have plenty of time to discuss his complexion in season Three. To hell with us, W. Yeah. Um, they play the what if game. What, what do you think the show would be like if they'd killed off other crew members at other times during the series? I would have liked that, actually. And I kind of think that an opportunity was missed in that they could have brought on each season, could have seen the introduction of a new quasi main character. I remember, would... that is what happened in season two. Yeah, well, we got Pulaski. We got Pulaski. But that was basically unintentional. That happened because at the end of season one, they fired Gates McFadden because because she was too much of a... Uh, I don't even know. They fired her because she kept standing up to them because they kept writing these kind of sexist scripts and she wasn't happy with that. Mm-hmm. And she came from a theater background where if you had problems with the script, you talked to them about it. Mm-hmm. She didn't understand that television's like an old boys club where you talk to them about their sexism and they're like, well, fuck you. Maybe. So uh, There's also the fact that you're on a schedule. Anyway, yeah. but, but yes. But yeah. So, you know, instead of taking her concerns to heart and saying, okay, well, let's see what we can do to improve this in future episodes. Yeah. They fired her instead. Yeah, that's And then unfair. a big letter-writing campaign from the fans saw her brought back for season three. Do you think any of that would have happened if people hadn't hated Pulaski? Like, what if the replacement um, had been sweet? I don't know. Hard to say. I think Gates is never coming back. Yeah, that's entirely possible. But, but I also think that if Pulaski had been a success, then they might have experimented with bringing in new cast members mm-hmm. every season. I think the yeah. failure of that, of Pulaski, unfortunately, kind of killed that idea for everybody, for any other chance of making yeah. changes like that. I mean, not that we didn't get new characters from time to time. We got Barkley. Yeah, exactly. You know, but uh, what I would have liked is bringing in quasi-main characters specifically for the purpose of killing them. You know? <laughs> Always like the chief George, engineer. Yeah, the George R.R. R. Martin style. But oh. never in the same season that they were brought in. Always the next, like All always right. a season or two later. Uh, this is probably yet another thing that if Shrek were redone, there'd be a lot more of mm-hmm. death. Yeah, more death. Yeah, yeah, because it's I mean, dangerous out there. Yeah, but it, it, it's it is an ensemble cast. I mean, mm-hmm. people like fans identify with their favorite characters. If you keep snuffing them out, it's tough. Like, I mean, yeah, I know Game of Thrones gets away with it, but well, Game of Thrones has proved that it can work. I yeah. guess for a very large audience. So yeah, yeah the, the floodgates are open. Game of Thrones is also things. a much smaller endeavor in that they only do you know x number of episodes per season i suppose so yeah Yeah, 
you know they don't have to. also it's all pre-written mm-hmm. and this this shit happens they, they can't really get away from it yeah 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 um, <laughs> so it'd be funny if like yeah Trek season one through seven like you start with the opening cast and then by the end of season seven like it's entirely a different cast except like Picard's still there or something yeah everybody else is gone yeah everyone else has like died or moved on that would be yeah weird. That, that's a thing too because like in the original Trek nobody seemed to get promoted ever until the movies like, utter stagnation and, yeah and yeah. not even until well into the movies like in Star Trek the motion picture everybody is still where they were you know like so depressing Sulu is still the helmsman I know you know and how, what Sulu gets promoted from helmsman to, to captain, captain baby. like that seems like an enormous jump I, I think maybe it's like it's like with Riker they're like every time they try to offer anybody a promotion away from the Enterprise they're like no, no I love it here uh, why so, why is it so good on the Enterprise I don't know but yeah, like I would have liked to have seen more of that. I would have been all right with Riker finally leaving the Enterprise to command his own ship. But it means his character would be gone, except for maybe the occasional appearance, yeah. right? Well, you know what? You know what? What? <laughs> I would have. In, I would have liked more. And like, you're probably not gonna like this. Because you like DS9. Yeah. But I would have preferred a Star Trek spin-off with Riker on his own ship doing his own thing. Like, as opposed to DS9. Like so Star Trek the Freaks years? The Riker yeah, or, or years? Whatever they would call it. I don't know what it would be. Picard but... retires to that, to that to his vineyard and Well, Riker... because it leaves us with the option for crossovers, but then we've still got we've still got our Riker on one show and we've got Picard on another. And honestly, like for me, when I was a kid when DS9 came out, my problem with DS9 was this was a Star Trek series about people that stayed in the same place. I really wondered when that, that Thomas Riker episode came out whether like they mm-hmm. would keep Thomas Riker around in Starfleet and then we would have just that like crossovers yeah. where we'd follow him around for a bit because then you get two Rikers. Yeah, 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 two Rikers. That'd be awesome. You get what I'm saying though, right? Like if... Uh, yeah, well, DS9 but, is great so screw you. But well, no, I mean, no, I'm, just I'm just kidding. To say that I'm just kidding. I'm just Star kidding. Trek Universe couldn't have supported two. Like, I mean, eventually yeah, we had DS9 and Voyager. Now, what would you rather have had? Voyager? <laughs> Anything that or, isn't Voyager. <laughs> yeah, or would you rather have seen our boy Riker off doing shit obviously that but yeah. I, I can understand why they wouldn't they didn't do that and maybe like Frakes didn't want to do another yeah, seven that's, seasons that's fair um, but like my best case scenario for this is that Frakes would have left the show after like maybe after season four or during season four you know after mm-hmm. the uh, best of both worlds incident after successfully commanding the Enterprise like that he now moves on right and uh, maybe Commander Shelby comes in and becomes the oh. uh, <laughs> thank god they didn't do that yeah yeah but you know what I mean yeah, I do. You know, potential was there, and they never used it. But that's fine. Yeah. Things that could have been but weren't. And we talked a bit last week about, you know, a new Star Trek series and what we would think of that and how they would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that ties in a bit. Conjecture about how it could have been handled back in the day. Instead, we got Voyager, which led us to Enterprise. Thanks, Rick Berman. I mean, I don't know. The, the other Trek series that came out after TNG, they're all kind of their own thing. While it's still, they try to keep things Star Trek-y in nature and feel, It's they're just different. and. Yeah. Anything yeah. they did that anything they did instead would still have been a different entity than TNG because mm-hmm. you're you're changing again, you're just it's not the same show. Like you're gonna have different writing staff, you're gonna have a different Yeah everything about it so even if it had starred Riker it could have been just as bad as Voyager yeah easily could have been yeah or whoever would not be Riker the adventures of Wesley Crusher (laughs) Data's lab Data on a research station (laughs) doing wacky (laughs) stuff reading Rainbow with Geordie LaForge obviously I would watch that yeah that sounds great Worf could have a cooking show (laughs) oh 
cooking with honor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's enough for tonight, don't you? Uh, the horse is dead. Yeah. Just like Tashi Yar. Oh. Boom, boom, boom. Too soon. Yeah, it's too soon. Sorry. All right. Well, thank you for joining yeah. us here. 1988 was only 26 years ago. Oh, it's man. too soon. Well, too soon for us because we just experienced that pain again. You're right. Anyways, thank you for joining us here aboard the Diecast Enterprise. We'll see you again next time. This is Pags. I'm fully. Oh, I don't know how to end it now. Rip, Tasha. Okay, bye.